Today's reading is from Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Uh, we're starting at verse 15, going through to verse 29. In this meaningless life of mine, I have seen both of these, the righteous perishing in their righteousness and the wicked living long in their wickedness. Do not be over-righteous, neither be over-wise. Why destroy yourself? Do not be over-wicked and do not be a fool. Why die before your time? It is good to grasp the one and not let go of the other. Whoever fears God will avoid all extremes. Wisdom makes one wise person more powerful than ten rulers in a city. Indeed, there is no one on earth who is righteous, no one who does what is right and never sins. Do not pay attention to every word people say, or you may hear your servant cursing you. For you know in your heart that many times you yourself have cursed others. All this I tested by wisdom, and I said... I am determined to be wise, but this was beyond me. Whatever exists is far off and most profound. Who can discover it? So I turned my mind to understand, to investigate and to search out wisdom and the scheme of things, and to understand the stupidity of wickedness and the madness of folly. I find more bitter than death the woman who is a snare, whose heart is a trap and whose hands are chains. The man who pleases God will escape her, but the sinner she will ensnare. Look, says the teacher, this is what I have discovered. Adding one thing to another to discover the scheme of things, while I was still searching but not finding, I found one upright man among a thousand, but not one upright woman among them all. This only have I found. God created mankind upright, but they have gone in search of many schemes. This is God's word. Well, good morning. Let me add my welcome and uh, let me lead us in prayer as we look at Ecclesiastes 7 together. Almighty God, we thank you that you're a good father, that uh, the scriptures have everything we need for life and salvation. And in this book of Ecclesiastes, here is what we need sometimes emotionally to be understood, to express our frustrations. Help us to do that rightly this morning, we pray, and to find our hope in you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you've been with us when we've been working our way through the book of Ecclesiastes, um, I think you come to, in one sense, the, the low point sorry, of the book today, but certainly the point where the teacher, uh, that is the, the man who's written Ecclesiastes, referred to as the teacher, just sort of throws his hands in the air and says, I give up. I give up. It's just impossible to make sense of this world, and I give up. It's useless. I, I, it just doesn't fit. It just doesn't work. It just, ah. And um, that's what we'll learn this morning. A bit more than that, hopefully. But there was a phase, certainly for myself, when I was a, a child, and um, during the winter months, the family would always have a jigsaw on the go uh, in the back part of the lounge. And there was a little phase I went through when um, I'd always steal maybe a dozen pieces, maybe half a dozen pieces, and just sort of hide them somewhere in my room, because I always wanted to be the person who finished the jigsaw. You know, I always wanted to be the sort of the winner, as it were, let everyone else do the work, and then just take the glory. 
And um, of course, there came a point where people were doing the jigsaw, and they go, well, there's just not enough pieces of the, whatever, the boat, the boat. There's just, ah, uh, uh, missing. the pieces are missing. Uh, this thing, we're never going to complete this jigsaw. And um, of course, they realized after a period of time that normally the answer was to go, Matt, and uh, I'd have to confess that I'd stolen pieces again. Well, I grew out of that uh, happily. But the teacher here says, do you know what life is like that? I just, I'm working away at it, working away, trying to make sense of it, and, oh, I'm just fed up. It doesn't fit. And in a sense, for readers today, I, I think that's part of the beauty of Ecclesiastes. Because, as one writer put it, uh, the book of Ecclesiastes, it's a kind of backdoor that allows believers to have the sad and skeptical thoughts that we usually do not allow to enter at the front door. Often the, the teacher says stuff that we think, but, but are we allowed to say that? Certainly if we're a believer. And so one of the reasons that for some Ecclesiastes is their favorite book of the Bible, I think, is there's great encouragement in being understood. And life at times is frustrating. But there's more than just understanding, uh, as we'll see in uh, chapter 7 today. There is hope. There's hope in the teacher's simple instruction. Fear God in a confusing world. We said last time, we're in the second half of the book, really, chapter 7 to the end, and uh, the headlines over chapter 7, they come at the end of chapter 6, and we're in the section, chapter 7 and 8, really answering the question, is there in chapter 6, verse 12, who knows what is good for a person in life during the few meaningless days they pass through like a shadow? How do we live wisely in this world? He's asking. How do we do that? And that's given acute focus today in chapter seven fifteen. I wonder if you noticed it, but here's the sort of issue of the section. Chapter 7.15, in this meaningless life of mine, remember meaningless could just mean brief, ephemeral, hard to grasp, but anyway, in this meaningless life of mine, I've seen both of these things, the righteous perishing in their righteousness and the wicked living long in their wickedness. It's not an unusual question that people throw up. I tell you what, I look around the world and good people suffer and die young and wicked people last. Brutal dictators ravage their countries, destroy their people, and then just live for years in luxury. And yet good people die young. But for us here, I think Edward Nelson, the Nelson family that we support in Paris, just doing phenomenal work, planting churches, encouraging the, the National Church in France, died in the summer on holiday. A wife and four children left, and you think, well, why take him? He's a, I mean, he's the best of us. Why take him? I look around this world, says the teacher. I see these things and I think, what do we do with that? How do we live wisely in a world that's screwed up? Or biblical language, how do we live wisely in a world that's fallen? But it's the same thing. And he makes three comments on wisdom. Here's what you need to know about wisdom, he says. It can't be achieved. No one's got it. And it's hidden by folly. So that's encouraging, isn't it? Can't be achieved. No one's got it. And it's hidden by folly. But 
fear God. So three comments on wisdom and then one conclusion, right? Let's work through them. First, uh, wisdom, it can't be achieved, verses 16 to 18. So he asks this question, what do we do then when the good die young and the wicked uh, grow old and uh, live in comfort? Well, verses 16 to 18, here's his solution. Don't be over-righteous, neither be over-wise. Why destroy yourself? Then you get a parallel, verse 17. Don't be over-wicked and don't be a fool. Why die before your time? It's good to grasp the one and not let go of the other. Whoever fears God will avoid all extremes. Now, I don't know if when Sarah read it, you, you, we came to these verses and you thought, excuse me, verse 16, don't be over-righteous, neither over-wise. 17, don't be over-wicked, don't be a fool. What does that mean? Don't be over-wicked, but just a little bit wicked or just moderately wicked. Is that what he's saying? I mean, don't be too wicked. Um, so stealing is fine, but kidnap is probably on the cusp and murder is obviously wrong. I mean, be wicked, just not too wicked. Does he mean that? Surely not. And verse, the other one, verse 16, don't be over-righteous and don't be over-wise. I mean, don't be too righteous. I mean, don't try and keep ten commandments, for goodness sake. Five is fine. Um, you know, obeying God's four out of seven days a week. That's all right. Don't try and do it seven out of seven. I mean, that'd be just too much. Now, if you're a Christian, obviously you hear that and you think, well, he doesn't mean that. Because the rest of the Bible contradicts that. What does he mean? Well, verse 18 is the interpretation we need. So it's good to grasp the one, not let go of the other. Whoever fears God will avoid all extremes. So clearly the, the antidote to being over-righteous or being over-wicked is to fear God. So it seems to be that either of those ways are not fearing God, either being too wicked, well, obviously that's rejecting him, but being over-righteous, that's rejecting God as well. It's not trusting him, not fearing him. And it seems to be he's railing against a view which sees righteous living, good living, as a little bit like magic. If you can do enough of it, if you're experienced enough at righteous living, you can control it. You know, it'll be like magic. If you train in the world of Harry Potter, if you train yourself well enough, if you work hard enough, if you're really diligent, you can become Dumbledore and be brilliant and control sorts of control magic very well. Well, look, if you're really righteous, you can control life because you'll just become so adept at it. And he's fighting against that as a worldview. You cannot, even if you live a great moral life, bring life under control. Because he says, verse 16, if you believe that in the face of the righteous perishing and the wicked enduring, you'll go mad. It's an unlivable way of thinking. Let me try to illustrate this way. Some will hate this. Sorry if you do. Dangerous illustration because not all love it. But um, in the West Wing, season two. Look, I know some love it, some hate it. Just bear with it. At the end of season two, it's this a memorable episode, I think, in many ways. Because uh, the president, uh, President Bartlett's beloved secretary, uh, Mrs. Lanningham, she's died in a car crash, tragically. And he's deeply unsettled by this. 
she was like a second mother, had known him since he was a boy, had grown up with him and become his secretary. He, she, he adored her. Uh, and so he's going through this crisis of faith, really, and he's got all sorts of medical issues. He's going to run for a second term, all sorts of stuff going on. But uh, at the funeral, a big sort of big public affair at the cathedral in Washington. And then afterwards, he gets the Secret Service to clear everyone out. It's just him in the cathedral. And there's this highly memorable scene where he rages at God. I mean, he's offensive, blasphemous, but he rages at God. And uh, very much demonstrates the worldview of verse 16 here. So, uh, long old speech, but let me give you a, a one little quote. This is the uh, Martin Sheen, the president, raging at God. Have I displeased you? 3.8 million jobs. That wasn't good. Bailed out Mexico, increased foreign trade. Not enough. 30 million new acres for conservation. No wars overseas anywhere. I raised three children. That's not enough for you. Not enough to buy me out of the doghouse. I was your servant. I was your messenger on earth. I did my duty. And so... How can it be that this woman I love has died when I've been so righteous? And in one sense, it's, it's good drama. It's a good depiction of a man wrestling with faith. But his faith is screwed up. Uh, he's got it wrong because he's holding to verse 16 of chapter 7 of Ecclesiastes. Look, I'm a really good man. This should not happen to me. And the teacher says, oh, if you try and live that way by that code, you'll go mad. You'll go mad. It's not livable. That worldview will destroy you. Obviously, don't go to the other extreme, verse 17, and, and despair and think, well, I'll just be deliberately wicked then. No, look, the, the pursuit of excessive righteousness as control or wickedness as escape, both are a refusal to trust God. And so the teacher says, you've got nowhere to go. Just fear him. Trust him. In the end, in this screwed up world, it's the only sensible place to go. Trust him. Wisdom then, um, it can't be achieved. You can't master it. Then secondly, 19 to 22, no one's truly got it. No one's truly got it, wisdom. Verse 19 looks a bit more familiar to, uh, to us, I think. Wisdom makes one wise person more powerful than 10 rulers in a city. Wisdom is great, he says. Yeah, that's sort of a familiar territory for us. Uh, and yet, verse 20, um, there is no one on earth who is righteous, no one who does right and never sins. No one. Come back to that verse. It's the only verse in the book quoted in the New Testament. It says, but let's be honest, verse 21, don't pay attention to every word people say, or you may hear your servant cursing you. For you know in your heart that many times you yourself have cursed others. And it's just common sense, isn't it? You just expect that people are saying bad things about you because you do it about them. Even your friends, even your good friends will at times be critical of you to others because you are of them. If you're the prime minister, at the moment, uh, this week after the last few days. Don't be surprised if some of your uh, advisors are now cursing you. Don't be surprised at that because you've cursed them. You've said bad stuff about them. It's just human nature, he says. Think about your own flawed life. None of us 
a perfect morally, we're all flawed, we all have feet of clay. If you're looking for the perfect man or woman, it's just a, a it's just good luck, but you won't. It's a search in vain. Morally, none of us are perfect. Intellectually, everyone has blind spots. Yes, yeah, so at the Churchill, I guess he gets regularly voted as the greatest ever Briton, yet in the last couple of years, he's now vilified by many for his views on India. Well, don't be surprised. He was a great man, but not a perfect man, because there are none, says the teacher. Even the very best of us is flawed. Don't be surprised. You only want to put people on statues who are perfect. No one. No one's truly got it. No one's got wisdom. Perfectly. We're all flawed. Wisdom, it can't be achieved. No one's truly got it. Third little thing he says, verses 23 to the end, uh, it's hidden by folly. Verse 23. Here's a summary of where we've got to so far in the book. All this I tested by wisdom, and I said, I'm determined to be wise, but it was beyond me. <laughs> I'm the wisest man who's ever lived, and I can tell you what, I couldn't even work it all out. Um, it's an amazing little summary, really. Uh, this is the only section in the whole book of Ecclesiastes, apart from the very beginning and end, where the editor interrupts. So you get it in verse 27. Look, says the teacher. All the other times is, the rest of the book is, I, 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 I've done this, I've searched this, I've looked at this, I've done this. Very beginning, very end, editor pops in and says, oh, this is what the teacher says. So I think we're meant to read verses 23 to 29 as some sort of, summary of how far we've got, a conclusion. And it isn't the most encouraging. Okay, verses 24 and 25, uh, sorry, uh, 23, uh, wisdom was beyond me. Verse 24, whatever exists is far off and most profound. Who can discover it? Eight times in this little passage, we get the word discover or found, find, to get translated two different ways. What have I found? Well, I'll tell you what I found. Verse 25, I turned my mind to understand, to investigate and search out wisdom in the scheme of things, to understand the stupidity of wickedness and the madness of folly. I'll tell you what I found, folly. I tried, I looked everywhere in this world to find wisdom. And in the end, what I discovered was it's much easier to find folly. Verse 26, I find more bitter than death the woman who is a snare, whose heart is a trap whose hands are chains, the man who pleases God will escape her, but the sinners she will ensnare. I think if you've been watching the daily devotions in Proverbs, that'll be very familiar to you. Verse 26, it's a description of Lady Folly. In the book of Wisdom, these two women get, a uh, book of Proverbs, these two women get personified. Lady Wisdom, Lady Folly. This is Lady Folly who ensnares, who traps and he's saying, look, I've looked around the world, and here's what I found. It's really easy to be ensnared by folly. It's really easy to fall into that madness. You start a little visit to a casino, you can become addicted to gambling. You start with a little bit of flirting, you end up having an affair. You start just telling a little lie, you end up with a life of deceit. Yeah, I've seen it in lots of people, he says. It's far easier to discover into folly than discover wisdom. 
And so verse 27, look, here's what I've discovered. I'm adding one thing to another. Look, I've added up everything there is to discover, to discover the scheme of things. While I was still searching, but not finding, I found one upright man among a thousand, but not one upright woman among them all. What? I think it's just a poetic way of saying no one. He's already said in verse 20, no one is righteous. So I think he's just saying it again in a poetic way. But verse 29 is the conclusion of this section. This only have I found. God created mankind upright, but they've gone in search of many schemes. What's his conclusion? Don't rant at God. He made this world right, and he made humans upright, but we've just gone off on our own frolics. We'll put it in these terms. Uh, we're allowed out and about again, imagine. And um, uh, the first shop you obviously visit uh, now when shops open up is the Porsche shop on uh, Piccadilly because you haven't had a Porsche for a while. And uh, so that's the first shop you go to. And you go in and you buy a new Porsche 911 for £85,000. Uh, the problem is it turns out to be a... Oh, look at that. There it is. Uh, uh, it turns out to be a lemon. And uh, you notice, having driven it away, hold on a minute, it's got... 50,000 miles on the clock already and, and the suspension is very rickety and uh, and the brakes are very noisy and squeaky and um, when I pull on the handbrake it appears to have come off in my hand and you think hold on a minute and you take it back to the shop and say this is a, this is a disgrace you sold me a lemon it cost quite a lot of money well, very different from that will be the scenario where you drive it away, and it is perfect. It is, it's just brilliant. It is the purring, amazing. And the first thing you do is wrap it around a lamppost. And so you call out whoever, AARSC, and you drag it back to the showroom on a tow truck and say, this car's rubbish. It's a rubbish car. Give me another one, because this car's rubbish. Well, those two are very different. First scenario, yeah, you've been sold a dud. The second scenario, that's your fault. And the, right, the, the teacher is saying, verse 29, don't blame God. He gave us a perfect world and made humans upright. And the fact that it's so screwed up, that's our fault. We've wrapped the world around a lamppost. We've smashed it. So how do we live wisely in a world that's screwed up, a world that's fallen? Wisdom can't be achieved. No one's truly got it. And it's hidden by folly. Much easier to be foolish than wise. And so he says, fear God. The only sensible thing to do. Now, it's easy for you and I to say, but why? Why trust him? Why fear him? Why not? rant at him like Martin Sheen in the West Wing. Well, because even in a fallen, screwed up world, God has demonstrated he is wise and he is loving. And again, we say, look, the teacher writing this book thousands of years ago, he only had a partial answer. He said, look, I know I have to fear God. There's nowhere else to go. The Christian living this side of the work of Jesus Christ, doesn't say, look, I have to fear God. There's nowhere else to go. The Christian says, I have really great reasons to trust God, to fear God. 
because he's demonstrated his wisdom and his love. See, it's easy for us to read Ecclesiastes 7 as Christians and say, yeah, I wonder if he speaks more than he knows here. So chapter 7, verse 20, he says, there's no one on the earth who's righteous, not one. But he does say poetically, I think, in chapter, sorry, verse 28, but I did find one upright man. Get to the pages of the New Testament, the book of Romans, Romans chapter 3, verse 10, quotes, there's no one on earth who's righteous, not one. It's the only verse in Ecclesiastes in the New Testament. Then says, but, but there is one, and his name is Jesus. And it's as if the writer here, he, in his frustration, he sets it out, but he speaks more truly than he realizes. Yeah, there's no one that's righteous, but there is one. The New Testament says, yeah, there's no one on this planet who's lived a perfect, righteous life, but there was one, Jesus. And we read chapter 7, verse 15, and say, it's, it's meaningless that the righteous perish in their righteousness, apart from when the only righteous man who's ever walked this planet, Jesus Christ, he perished in order that us who are not upright could know eternal life. Oh, oh, there is purpose in that time at some times. This past week was the, um, uh, was the third anniversary. Some dear friends, they lost their 16-year-old uh, boy. Uh, he went from perfectly healthy to 48 hours later dead, a very rare genetic disease. Uh, no one knew he had it. And you just think, well, that's meaningless out of nowhere. A perfectly healthy, good lad, gone. One of the extraordinary things was the father at the funeral being able to say, in the enormous pain of losing my son, I have learned more about what it means to be a Christian, that God is a father who lost his son. Yeah. God is a father who knowingly let his righteous son die for wicked people like you and me. And Jesus is a son who knowingly did that for you and me. We may not understand why, but it's very loving. And it's a wisdom that saves us for eternity. So trust that one. Fear him. Let me lead us in prayer. Our great God and Father, at times this world is a very confusing place and a painful place and a place which doesn't add up. You know that. We're grateful that you give us a book such as Ecclesiastes, which expresses that. We're stunned that you are a God who has entered into this world in Jesus and known that, not just the frustration the confusion at times of this world, but known this Jesus, the one righteous man who's ever lived, dying in his righteousness so that those who are not upright, like us, can be saved for eternity. Father, we praise you for him, and seeing that expression of wisdom and love, would we trust him? Amen.